You're listening to The Wrong Station Pledge Drive. The Wrong Station is only possible with the support of listeners like you. Become a subscriber today by visiting patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You'll receive access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes discussions, our new book club, and so much more. Today, The Wrong Station is proud to present Monoculture by Alexander Saxton. He had 100 genetically perfect clones of himself, floating in plastic in the basement of his compound. Each one a fully formed fetus suspended in a translucent fluid in a plastic bag inside a cylinder of brown plastic, like a recyclable keg. In the never-ending, endlessly repeated Sunday afternoons of apocalypse, he had taken to walking down among them in the dim warmth of the basement closing his eyes and feeling the incubation lamps filtered through their brownness against the backs of his eyelids like an imitation sun. The world had lost most of its interest for him. He barely spoke to his girlfriends anymore, and they barely spoke to each other, even before they had all withdrawn from the world to this isolated, air-conditioned, bomb-resistant paradise. They all had so little in common. He was thirty years older than the oldest of them, and could remember worlds beyond their imagination. Yet he barely looked at his old books anymore, sometimes to pick one up for part of an afternoon and then lose interest, letting it fall to the floor in a crumbling autumn leaves pile of aging paperback. These were the books he'd grown up loving, had devoured voraciously as a teenager, then set aside when the business of saving humanity, or at least the part of it he cared for, became all-consuming. In rare moments of self-reflection during his years of success, he had remembered these books. The strong feelings they had aroused in him, the limitless impossibility, the feeling of acceleration. He would longed for the time to read them again, but had never made it. Now he had time, but whenever he opened one of his old books, he found, to his tired horror, that they contained only words, and none of the remembered feelings. When that happened, he would spend the whole afternoon wandering his empty halls, looking in on the girlfriends who responded with only vacant animal stares, and then wandering up to the heights of his observatory to view the empty planet, and then wandering down again to the brown warmth of the incubation chamber. He had one hundred genetically perfect clones of himself floating in plastic. He had them. They were what mattered. He loved humanity, as he had so often said, and they were humanity's future. He had had their genes scrubbed of any imperfection, any variation. He had wanted one hundred genetically perfect clones, his words, and he had paid for them and got them. The power it took to keep them alive was monumental by the standards of his fallen world. There were people living down by the coast still, and a few years earlier, when the hurricane had come through, they had sent representatives up begging for power so they could keep the emergency beds of the hospital running. He had refused to even see them. When thieves came up with lengths of cord to steal the power, he had used drones to shoot them dead. The people hadn't bothered him since. It mattered, you understand, because for him, each one of those perfect fetuses wasn't just a collection of cells floating in a bag but was the countless billions of their descendants in the reborn and improved human race. 
Each one was a hundred star colonies, a hundred Dyson spheres, a pan-galactic mind stretching its hands beyond the reach of meager God. Just like in those crumbling books that he remembered. That's why it was so important. That's why it mattered so much. In the grand scheme of things, each one of these unliving clones was a new Abraham. That's why they had to be saved at the expense of someone's mother or child gasping without a ventilator eight miles down the road. He still got angry about it. The presumption of them. He would still, some evenings, drink by himself and storm up and down the lonely floor of his regulation basketball court, carrying on silent arguments with imagined interlocutors about how right it was that he had denied those people power. He furied at their short-sighted selfishness. Save one life now or ten million in a thousand years. An idiot should have been able to do the math, but so few people seemed capable. But he knew what was rational. He had perspective, which they, just struggling to survive, could not. And yet, whose fault was that? He had dedicated his lifetime, his entire life, to making himself anti-fragile against the coming crises. Well, now the crises had come, and here he was. And they had the temerity to blame him for it. It made him furious to imagine what they must have thought of him, them in their ignorance. More than once he shattered a glass against the wall in his anger. More than once his silent arguments had spilled over into shouted contestations. His girlfriends never cleaned up the shards, or the stains of sugary alcohol on the floor and on the walls. He quietly resented them for this, and spent more time down in the basement. He had one hundred genetically perfect, invariant clones of himself. One day, when he went down to marvel at them and their limitless potential, he noticed something that horrified him. On the smooth, half-formed cheek of one fetus, a little patch of something growing there, just a slight discoloration in the amber glow, a waxy paleness trailing faint tendrils into the amniotic fluid which congealed slightly around them. A mold, or yeast, or fungus. His heart dropped out of his chest. He rushed to the next tank, mouth dry, eyes wide, chest tapping, and when he saw the cheek clear of any growth, he gave a deep sob of relief and hung his head. For a whole twenty seconds, he let the feeling of relief wash through his veins like a drug. But then, when he finally looked up, he noticed a patch of waxy, pale growth attached to the fetus's thigh. No. No, it couldn't be. He ran to the next tank, and found the fetus there was crowned with pale, growing spores. And then he ran to the next, and on to the next, and on to the next, and each one, each one of his perfect, suspended, waiting clones was swaddled up in pale, fungal blooms. The future of humanity. Everything he had spent his life on. The justification for his every act. He had one hundred genetically perfect clones of himself floating in plastic in the basement of his compound. And every last one of them had spoiled.